Aalto University Podcast. Hello all, um, I'm Tommy Kauppinen and this is Cloud Rachers podcast. So today I'm here with incredibly talented Laura Kalbach. Thanks for being here. Um, oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> well, um, this is this is super great. So um, I, I want to start with uh, with a burning question. So you have written recently the book Accessibility for Everyone. So um, can you share uh, more about that project? Like what is what made you come up with that and and why? Well. I've cared about accessibility on the web for a really long time and I wrote a few articles about it. So I'm a designer and a developer really, so I mostly work on the web, but I have a background in doing design for all kinds of media. And I've always really cared about making sure that my work is as inclusive as possible so that the widest possible audience can access it. And so that often means, and particularly in my book, trying to work out how to make the web more accessible to people with disabilities. And that's something that I've just cared about for a long time. And I've tried to pick up as much as I can. I read lots of articles, read lots of books about it. And so following those articles, I was approached by a book apart, which is a tiny little publishing company in the US. And they specialize in writing what they call brief books uh, for people who build websites. And so they approached me. I wouldn't have necessarily thought about writing a book beforehand. I wouldn't have maybe had the confidence to do it. Uh, but it gave me the opportunity to write a book that might be a good introduction for people across disciplines working on the web. So that could be designers, developers, copywriters, people who work in user experience, um, making the case for accessibility. Like, why is it important to be inclusive? Why should we make products that everybody can use, regardless of disability or skill level or background? And trying to help connect people who might be completely new to the idea of accessibility to those experts in the field, those people who do far more specialized work than I do myself. Wow, okay, that's uh, that's great. I mean, interesting story that it's actually um, kind of uh, one thing uh, led to another, like like first you wrote articles and then the publisher actually found you. So that's, um, that's also <laughs> um, about online, isn't it? Um, now, which uh, gives me, um, idea about the next question, because I mean, you have also released an audiobook uh, version of your book and I've been listening to it. Uh, I mean, actually, I was a test uh, listener to one of the chapters um, and uh, that's how I, I, I found um, your ideas. And I find the book uh, super interesting and super well done as well. So if I if I look at the um, audiobooks in general, I have been um, listening to So um, how did you come up with the idea of making the audiobook and uh, how did you produce it and how has it been received? Well, thank you. Thank you for your help during the process because for me, I'd never made an audiobook before. So it was difficult to know what would be right, particularly for people who use audiobooks a lot. But since I wrote the book proposal back in 2014, so a long time ago, I'd always put audiobook on the map of things that I wanted to do with the book. Because it makes sense that if I'm writing a book about 
making content accessible that I make my content accessible to people who may not be able to use a paperback book or an ebook. And also just for people who enjoy learning through audio rather than learning through reading text. And so I always wanted to do it. The thing is that a book apart is very tiny as a publisher. Uh, they're absolutely brilliant at what they do, but they don't have the facilities for recording audiobooks. I think only one other author has made audiobooks of their books. But I knew I had the adequate equipment. I have a microphone, I have basic recording software, a quiet space to record in, and I have my brother, Sam Kalbag, and he's a great sound engineer, and he was willing to work with me on it. He was willing to be patient with me making a mess and not doing very well. Uh, and he loves audiobooks himself, so he has a lot of expertise in the area, as well as being able to do all the editing for me and make the audiobook fit Audible's very strict book ebook uh, audiobook requirements. And so that made it much easier for me that I could produce it for very little money. And that meant that I could distribute it and a much wider audience could have access to the content of the book through audio. Wow, that's that's great to hear because I mean, now what you are saying, it's, uh, it's very much also the argument for us doing this podcast. So really trying to think how we ourselves want to uh, learn about something. And I, I've been, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, different um, podcasts and uh, audiobooks because you can take them basically anywhere, right? So, I mean, if you are running or bicycling, you can, uh, of course, you have to be careful not to <laughs> hit, uh, <laughs> hit the rock or anything, but it's, uh, it's, it's a way to be able to um, still engage with something that uh, that doesn't necessarily require your attention in, I mean with your eyes uh, all the time oh yeah I I love podcasts myself I walk my dog a lot so I like listening to a podcast in one ear while I'm walking because it gives me the opportunity to fill that time just being entertained or learning something new at the same time Yeah, it's fantastic. Actually, have you ever uh, listened to um, like lectures? I mean, traditional lectures, if you like, uh, via via your devices. Uh, I mean, I'm asking you because I've, I've at some time ago I, I started to do it, and it's really interesting to listen to some lecture done, let's say, 20 or 30 years ago, even, and then just let the imagination flow while while the uh, great uh, speaker is sharing uh, his or her thoughts. Well, I wish I were better at it because actually my learning style, I prefer reading, funnily enough. I'm very old fashioned in that sense. So you can get all this great video and audio content now, but I'm very visual. And so I love things that have visual explanations and visual text. So actually a lot of the podcasts, they're, the ones that I learn from are ones that have a much more informal style, a more conversational style. So I learn lots more about things like societal issues and things like that. And when I want to learn a specific topic, I tend to go more for the text-based stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, in that, uh, we are exactly the same. I'm I'm also super visual in, in my uh, in my learning. Um, and I, I agree. I mean, those actually, when I'm thinking about it, those lectures I've been listening to, they are more about societal issues and uh, or psychology or, I mean, something that I don't have to exactly like learn exactly how something is done, but it's it's more like uh, giving thoughts at, at the same time when walking or running, looking at the scenery and then just letting the imagination 
flawed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I find it quite difficult if I'm listening to something that is talking about something because I'm visual, I try to visualize it. So yeah. I have to make sure I'm not driving or something like that when I'm listening to something that produces a lot of visual <laughs> information, because then I am stopping seeing what I'm looking at while I'm driving and I'm just building pictures in my mind. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, I, I so know what you're talking about. For example, I was uh, listening to uh, Richard Feynman's, uh, I mean, I'm not a physicist myself at all, but it's uh, uh, his, uh, some of his uh, great lectures. And uh, when he's talking about time, I'm always like, you know, this is, I mean, this is a picture about that, whatever he's uh, talking about. It's, it's amazing how, how um, kind of just the sound works when there is uh, something really inspiring that is creating yeah. visual pictures in your mind. Well, that's it. It's a great compliment to the person who produced it if it creates that in you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you think it's, uh, how, how does it actually work? Is it some specific words or the sound of voice or how does it work actually? I mean, this goes to deep waters, of course, easily, but how does it work to create visual images uh, by just sound? I don't know. I think that some people are just far better at describing things, that are putting visual ideas into words in such a great way. It's, uh, I think it's a great skill. It's very difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps giving some visual cues, I don't know, giving some examples that uh, create memories uh, in you, like talking in spatial terms, perhaps, I mean, like, like from yeah, the left. Yeah, real or, life examples, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, wow. Never actually thought about it that deeply, but now nice to uh, discuss about it with with you. It's um, um, actually, I'm thinking uh, uh, also another fascinating thing, I, if I think about memory, is uh, kinetic memory. I mean, I've, I've learned also to learn by writing. So what do you think about that? I mean, like, like perhaps if you listen to something and then would it actually help if you would write at the same time? How do you feel about it? Oh, yes. I'm a great note taker. I love taking notes. And when I go to conferences and things like that, I always write because it also helps stop me from fidgeting because I like to keep my hands busy because otherwise I'll maybe start looking at my phone or something like that. So when I'm taking notes while I'm listening, it's a great way for me to transfer that sort of audio information into visual information for me. And it helps me, I can draw lines between things and make connections in a visual manner that kind of reflects what's going on in my mind. And I, th I think that one of the ways that I used to really learn for conferences, which I don't do so much anymore, is I used to live tweet. So what I used to try to do is pass what I was listening to into small little chunks of useful information to put on Twitter. And it's very intensive. So it's very tiring to do that. And some people find it really annoying on Twitter, but other people really gain from it. And it's quite a useful way of getting all those best bits of information that you've learned out in very, very short, concise pieces of text. I absolutely agree. I've been also doing that, uh, but I also uh, agree with you. It's, it's really tiring. I mean, sometimes when I've done it, I, I feel like I have done a lot of work after the session. I'm not sure what I actually learned myself, but later on when I look at the tweets, it's, it's actually quite good, uh, good kind of summary of the, of the, of the lecture. I mean, at least, uh, so that, um, that uh, kind of shows what I think I learned <laughs> during the yeah, session. Yeah, you pick up key points. And yeah. 
I think you can't be expected to remember everything that you heard. And so it's quite a good reflection of that. And my memory is awful. And so it's a nice way of just having those little bits of key memories. Mm-hmm. Something I have realized, actually, um, I don't know if you can share with me uh, about your experience, but when I have writing, uh, I mean, in a paper, uh, notebook, uh, some notes, I realized that I don't have to always look at those again, but I still kind of remember just because I have been writing those. Do you have anything like that, anything like that experiences or do you always oh, check yes. them after? Yeah. I think I think most of my exams that I did when I was at school really relied on revision where I wrote notes down. I read something and I wrote it out or and I wrote out sort of a summary of it to help understand it but also to lodge it in my brain. And I didn't ever look at those notes again. Whoa. But <laughs> just the act of writing them would get it into my head. Yeah. Wow. That's uh I have to say that you are the first person ever that share this kind of uh <laughs> oh, really? so it's I mean honestly we have never met right so this is the I mean we have met of course in Twitter and uh, in email but never really uh spoken about these things so it's it's a big honor to share this experience um yeah I, I mean, think it is a visual quality I think even though it is writing I think it is something about my visual memory that yeah. picks up on those notes Should it be actually, if I'm thinking about online learning um, and universities in general, I mean, when when institutions or people or teachers are producing audiobooks or podcasts, uh, could it be even, um, I mean, like instructions even for students or somebody who wants to kind of get to kind of to the deep learning, if you like, um, then like really instruct them to take notes or kind of trying to visualize whatever they are hearing? Well, I think it really depends because we all learn in such different ways. And I think that's one of the benefits of if we're trying to make our content more accessible, one of the ways to do that is provide a variety of formats because that allows people to learn in a way that is best for them. Because I think only we know how we learn best and it's very hard to be dictated to. I think we all have experiences when we're younger with teachers who believe that you must learn in a particular way even that way might not suit you at all. And it often is what ends up making us hate particular subjects when we're growing up because it's just taught in a way that is not comfortable for us and doesn't help us learn. And so it's the same with the accessibility of all content on the web. If we provide different formats for people, that way we're giving them the option of using it in a way that suits them best. So if we're just writing text, making sure that text is HTML, not PDFs or plain text. So that then if you can format that HTML so the screen readers understand what's a heading, what's body text, what's a list, and can then read it appropriately. So screen reader is something that's assistive technology and it reads the content of the screen aloud to the person using it. And so if we make sure that the text that we write has things like headings and lists and Things like that, maybe if there's an image that we provide an alternative description for that image, then that screen reader can accurately convey that content in a usable way to people. But it's also things like if we have videos, making sure we have captions or transcripts or both, maybe having captions in different languages if we want to make it accessible to people who maybe have a different language or a different first language. Um, 
if we have audio content, having transcripts for that, um, recorded even for text content, recording audio versions of that text content. I've recently seen that for a few articles on this uh, 24 accessibility, which was a, an advent-based blog leading up to Christmas. And a few of their articles, they had recorded as audio as well. And I hadn't even thought about that before. Despite having made an audio book, I didn't think, oh, we can do this for articles too. And it just makes it easier for people to pick what works for them best. Wow, that's a, that's a great uh, insight. So really, whenever university, if they want to make its learning accessible online for everyone, basically, these are the major points. So you have to make sure that there are different channels that people can actually, um, I mean, get in in um, in contact with the with the uh, content. I mean, that's a great art. I mean, I really have to think about that. I reading aloud articles. That's a great idea. I'll do it. Yeah, I promise I, to do a, it. <laughs> on a very on a very basic level. I mean, yeah. it's making sure that the content. If someone can't see it, if they're blind or they have sight loss, if someone can't hear it, if they're deaf or they're hard of hearing. I mean. They don't have a choice. They yeah, can yeah. only consume the content yeah. in particular formats. But for everyone else who doesn't necessarily have an impairment like that, mm. they can access it however suits them best. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, when when somebody writes an article, just letting a screen uh, reader uh, or themselves, of course, also reading it aloud at least once so that they can themselves get the feeling of how does it sound when somebody's listening to it uh, and not just uh, necessarily reading because i mean it's it's a different uh, kind of um, i mean <laughs> it might require a different kind of sentence structures or i don't know some way to structure it differently what do you think about that oh yeah i think that's a great test for written content because a lot of people who might be great writers they can write very formally And sort of formal writing can be very hard to read, especially if you have learning difficulties um, or difficulty reading, or it's not the language that you're most familiar with. And so having things like short sentences, not using sort of odd examples and references that are particular to pop culture or um, things like metaphors, where might be easy to understand if you're familiar with a language, but if you're not, it's very hard to understand. And so trying to make things as simple as possible. I think reading it out loud is a really great way of thinking, oh, have I run out of breath reading this? Well, maybe I need to have shorter sentences and things like that. Yeah, that's that's great. So, uh, yeah, hopefully there will be more. And uh, perhaps we can just give examples. I mean, we, we have to, as a community, we, we have to just uh, experiment things. And uh, then perhaps if you do uh, this kind of, Um, recording of your article perhaps then, then just simply sharing it I mean it's not that hard anyways <laughs> these days right yeah you should be proud of it if you do it and even if it's not perfect get feedback from people like I did with my audiobook I didn't necessarily know if particularly the bits of code and things like that would be easy to understand and the easiest thing to do is to just give it a go and then ask people mm. for their feedback mm. You know what? When I when I was listening to your audiobook, I decided that uh, I'm, I'm teaching information visualization both in in Finland in Alto University and then also in Germany in, in the University of Münster. So, uh, inspired by your book, I decided to make this kind of 
simple, short, um, like podcasts, if you like, um, kind of podcast extras, five minutes each um, about the main topics in the in the course. I didn't share them with the students yet, but I plan to do it in the in the next um, next course. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hear what they think about them. Is it something that they, I mean, something that uh, helps them to learn something? I don't know yet. It's it's interesting. Oh, it's a great idea. Oh, that would be so good. I can imagine if I had that when I was at school, I think that would be so useful. I mean, we didn't really have podcasts when I was yeah, at no. school. But <laughs> no, me neither. No, but I we mean, barely so, had, we didn't even yeah. have MP3 players, but I think... <laughs> Yeah. It's great to utilize the technology that's available to us. And especially as it's inexpensive now to be able to produce things. And also people are more likely to have the devices that they can listen to it easily. I think most phones can play podcasts or audio. So mm. I think that that's something that's available to a wide audience as well. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Let's, let's see how it goes. Um, hey, um, If you think about your career or life, uh, is there something, some moment or some event, something that made you think about um, things differently, about accessibility, about learning online, about anything? It's like turning point in your life. Hmm. Well, I've generally been very consistent throughout my whole life. <laughs> I've always known what I wanted to do. I've always kind of... and maybe those thoughts have evolved over time and I've learned more over time, but I've always cared about the same kind of things. I've always cared about accessibility because I grew up with my brother, Sam, who has cerebral palsy. And I don't know a life where his accessibility needs aren't part of how my family did daily life. And it meant that he wasn't necessarily different from other family members and their needs. Um, we all have unique needs and we all have things that make our lives easier his were just generally less accommodated for by the rest of the world by society in general and it was only when I started actually writing the book about accessibility that I realized oh that's probably why I care so much about this because I could very easily see the effects of poorly designed technology or inconsiderate people on my lovely brother and That's what made me always care about it. So whilst it might have been something that I thought about in my whole life and I always try to incorporate into my work, I realized, and I only realized when I was writing the book, that that was why. Okay, wow. So kind of, if I if I think about it, it's like uh, kind of when you write, wrote that book, then you knew why you were actually writing that book. I mean, kind of yeah. very interesting thought. Wow. It's uh, yeah reminds me of, of many many uh, many experiences I've had in the in the past um, about social media. I mean I I know that uh, you are you have been active in in Twitter and other other social media platforms, and uh, I I think that you have made very interesting observations about uh, some social media platforms in your blog post uh, about the pros and cons. For example, you say that uh, you are getting all the news in in social media platforms or most of the news. And uh, then, of course, you're talking about the followers and friendships, uh, perhaps. So can you share about those uh, views? How do you think about online works and social media platforms work these days? Yeah, well, this is sort of my other area of interest. And 
it's not just social media platforms, but all mainstream technology today is backed by bad business models, business models of profiling us, using our personal information, usually to better manipulate us, to sell to us or make us develop a particular behavior that benefits them. And sometimes even selling our information to third parties like credit companies or loans companies or insurance companies, even sharing personal information about us with governments. And this is all done using tracking technology. So like when you might look at a shirt in a shop online that you, you're thinking of buying, and then suddenly you see that shirt in ads all across all the different websites you visit. And this generally means that original website has shared your information with all of those sites via an ad network. And this is kind of like how Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and other social media work. They mostly do all of this inside of their own platforms, though, which is why the ads you get on those platforms are so relevant to you. And some people say that relevant ads are better than irrelevant ads, uh, but I don't see why we should be manipulated into buying things we don't necessarily need or can't afford. And it actually has an even bigger impact than that. So these targeted advertising based on profiles of us is how Cambridge Analytica, a British company, used ads to target and manipulate voters in elections and in referendums. I mean, Cambridge Analytica has proved to be closely involved in the Leave campaign for Brexit. So that's going to have a huge impact. And I say that as a British person living in Europe right now. And so what started out as advertising has turned into targeting that can affect the outcomes of elections. And given that this is a platforms that we use day to day to get information, to get news, to communicate, it's become our vital social infrastructure. This is a really bad thing. And it will mostly affect vulnerable, vulnerable people. The people who can't afford more expensive insurance because social media has reported that they're drinking more than usual. Um, people who don't want their authoritarian governments knowing about their personal lives. They don't want their government to know what their sexual orientation is or what their racial background or their religious background is. And one of the biggest problems, what it all comes down to, vulnerable people will be the first to suffer the consequences of this. And... The reason this is because the people building technology today, mainstream technology today, are often ignorant to these consequences because they're usually privileged people and they can't understand or they don't necessarily care how much vulnerable people can be affected by it. So I really care about us building inclusive and ethical technology. And I think that's how we need to look at the web moving forward. Wow, that's uh, that's that's excellent observation and uh, and a very very um, how would I say it? I mean beyond interesting. This is uh, this is necessity, isn't it? Uh, also, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking like, isn't it like kind of contradictory to learning as well? I mean, if we are all the time manipulated or targeted some ads, then I mean, <laughs> what uh, does it have to do actually anything about with with learning and this kind of truth seeking and uh, I mean trying to understand the world. Well, yeah, I think for a while, especially on learning platforms, 
there was an obsession with gamification. So this idea that if you turn learning into a game, then you'll be more likely to form a habit and keep doing it and sort of learn more. But really, that was leading people down very specific paths of learning. That's not encouraging people to be disciplined in their own learning. It's not encouraging people to learn what they want to learn. It's setting a very strict course and sort of setting out those points. One of the examples of this is when I was living in Sweden and I was trying to learn Swedish and I was following Geolingo, one of those language apps. And I had to try to, um, I was learning all these basic things it was teaching me, but I, it took, I think, maybe something like 50 lessons before I got to things like numbers. And actually numbers were something that would be really useful to me as soon as I'd moved to Sweden. But because that was the strict course that was set out in the game, that was how I had to learn it. So I actually had to go find a completely different site or a different dictionary to look up what the numbers were. <laughs> and so I think that we need to try to build things that allow people to have autonomy in what they're learning. Yeah, kind of freedom to explore. I mean, whatever they want to learn about that and yeah. uh, understand the world. Uh, I mean, th this is very interesting that you were learning Swedish uh, in I mean, Swedish online. So, but how do you think, um, what did you learn last time online? Was it something that you have recently learned? Well, what I, a lot of the time spend learning is new techniques around design and development on the web. So I have to spend a lot of time learning about web development because it's one of those fields that moves so quickly and you can sort of be left behind if you're not keeping up with the basics. And one of the things particularly with caring about accessibility is when I'm building a website, I want to know about how can I make this bit of code as accessible as possible? So how can I make my navigation on my website as accessible as possible? So the last thing that I looked up was um, my friend Hayden Pickering. He has a website and an ebook um, combined called Inclusive Components. And what that does is teaches people specific components on the web and how to make them accessible. So the specific component I was looking at was, how do I make a menu that opens and closes? So it seems very straightforward, but designing that and coding that in a way that's accessible to as many people as possible can be quite tricky. And so what I was actually doing was looking it up on his website because it has a great text explanation of things. It has illustrations, so I understand what he's talking about. And it has code examples that I can copy and paste and use for myself. And that's just a perfect way to learn things for me. Wow, that's a, that's an interesting example. So so if I'm trying to summarize, so transparency is uh, important. So for example, if you have an example, then there should be also some kind of way to understand how it actually works and also, of course, accessibility and this kind of feeling of being to explore basically anything that you actually want to learn about. Um, is that a kind of good summary of your vision for the future yeah. of learning? Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons that I got into the web was because it democratized information and learning. So I started out looking into graphic design and designing for print and things like that. And they can be quite elite fields. And what I love about the web is that anyone can do it as long as they have access to an internet connection 
and a device. And nowadays, those devices could be very low cost. And we can use that to access anything and learn anything and learn how to do anything. And so I guess my my vision for the future would be people can learn new skills and connect with communities. So I think community is very important for helping sort of know what to learn and who's good to learn from as well in a way that doesn't threaten your privacy or your other rights, um, that respects people for who they are and helps them become the people that they want to be. Well, that's, that's a, that's a great summary. And, uh, and I, I feel so, um, feel that I, I truly agree with all the things that you <laughs> say here and also during the podcast. Uh, thanks so much uh, for uh, joining. Uh, I have a final question in my mind. So we plan to ask this from all the guests of the Cloud Reachers. Uh, so who or which can be project, organization, basically anything, is uh, kind of a Cloud Reacher in your field? Uh, so really bringing the field forward. Well, when you asked me this question in an email, I have one person who jumped to mind right away. And that's Trina Falber, who wrote a book called White Hat UX, so White Hat User Experience. And what Trina does is she writes and speaks about ethical design, but in a very practical way. So how you can design things ethically in your web projects and things like that. And she herself is also a teacher and a speaker. And so she has the highest possible impact that a person could have because she is spreading great practices to students as well. And I think that that's a very admirable thing to do. Well, thanks for sharing it. I, this is <laughs> this comes to my um, to my reading list uh, next. Uh, I have to check uh, that. Laura, thanks so much for joining me in this Cloud Reachers podcast. That was a true pleasure. Uh, let's continue in, in other channels. Thanks. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It's been such an interesting conversation. Thanks.